Paul is one of those long-winded preachers, and the boy Eutychus falls asleep, falls down, and dies. He was killed from that fall. Paul brings him back to life, but this boy wakes up, doesn't say a thing about heaven or paradise or what it's like to be dead and then be brought back to life. There was a ruler in the synagogue uh, that had a daughter that died and was brought back to life. Again, no indication at all of what it's like. No description given about heaven. And Acts chapter 9, Dorcas, a woman full of good works, was sick. She died. Three verses later, she raised from the dead. But Dorcas gave no insight to what it's like to be in heaven. Lazarus, here's one. Lazarus was dead for four days. In fact, he was dead so long that his body stank according that's to according to mary and uh, his sister and so he comes out of the grave they take the grave clothes off of him he lives out the rest of his days and nothing no description of heaven never gave anything and there are multitudes of people after Jesus came out of the grave that were released from their graves in the holy city. They appeared to many in Jerusalem and, and, and nothing, no indication. No, no one said anything about, wow, paradise is this, paradise is what. No one said anything after that massive resurrection, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that would have been a good time for him to say something about it. There seems to be one exception. If you wanted to study this, you could. There is Stephen. He was preaching his first sermon, first deacon. This will be his last sermon. Uh, he preached to the people that did not want to hear. Uh, they, they stopped their ears. They ran on him. They gnashed on him with their teeth. These are grown adults, but folks, this is not a nursery. But uh, nonetheless, they did not want to hear what Stephen had to say. They stoned Stephen and the Bible says that he lifted his eyes and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And then he fell asleep. doesn't say he died, which is another whole study. He fell asleep. And so the interesting thing about that is that he was in his physical body and he was looking into the spiritual world and being able to see that. But he doesn't live beyond that, doesn't live 20 more years at all. And so as you look at this scripture, beside a, beside a couple of portions of scripture and other places in the Bible, there's not a lot about people living and describing what it was like to be there. All we can do is take what God has given us, not a lot of detail, and from the eyes of a man, in the ears of a man, this portion of scripture, I believe, is well worth us digging into and studying. Interesting as you look at this. If you have your Bibles, let's look here real quick at point number one. Notice the place that Paul had seen in verse number uh, two, if you would. It says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Can I stop right here and say this? This, according to the scripture, is the first time that Paul mentions this revelation, this, this, uh, this event. 14 years, he doesn't say a word. I would say within 14 years, there's probably a good book deal that he could have had put together. He could have probably been able to sell that book. Oh, I went to heaven, came back. Let me tell you what I saw. There is no book deal. There is no money being made. In fact, for 14 years, Paul says nothing, according to the scripture, about this event. Verse 2, whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. So what's happening here? Let me try to give you what I think 
Paul, we don't know if he was in the body, out of the body. We don't know if his body was maybe uh, given a spiritual form, taken to heaven. We don't know if his soul left his body and gone to heaven and come back. But I just say this, as I said to the nine o'clock hour, if Paul doesn't know, how am I supposed to know? I don't know. Paul says, I can't tell. I don't know what happened. Then he goes on to say, such an one was caught up to the third heaven. Then it says in verse number four what this third heaven is. Now that he was called up into what? You all have to, st- you have to help me here. I'll be preaching a long time if I don't get some help here. Paradise, all right? Thank you, Dr. Feaster. Okay, paradise. Paradise. So we know that the third heaven is paradise. Y'all with me this morning? All right, I'll say, okay, I need some, a little work here. All right, so paradise, interestingly, uh, is a place, according to the 1828 definition, dictionary definition, it's a place of bliss. It's a region of supreme delight. Jesus mentions par- the paradise in the Gospels when he talked to the repentant thief and told him today as uh, he gave the promise to the thief. It wasn't uh, just given. It was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, that man didn't do anything. He didn't go to church. Uh, he never gave uh, anything to the poor. He never got baptized. He went to heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, to paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ that day. That's a promise. That'll throw the ones that you believe in baptismal regeneration, that'll break their neck over that one because you, fi- you can't figure that one out. Why? He didn't do anything other than, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. That's it. That is faith being placed in this Messiah. And the promise from Jesus to him is you're going to paradise. So paradise, according to Luke chapter 16, I think I said Mark chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 16 is where the rich man, but I'm early in the morning. I don't have my brain all. It's never really full. full Anyway, Um, Luke chapter 16, you find the uh, rich man died and in hell lifted his eyes being in torment. And he sees Abraham afar off and he cries to Abraham. And now he's having a conversation, Luke chapter 16. And by the way, that's not a parable. That's a story. Uh, Why? Because there's mention of names in that story. Not a parable. Parable is no mention of names. And so he finds himself in hell, the rich man. He looks over into Abraham's bosom is what is referenced at. And this is, this is still in the old Testament. And there are people over there that the beggar was over there. There are people over there. And he says that Abraham says to this rich man, you can't come here. I'm paraphrasing and I can't come there. There's a great gulf fixed. And, uh, and that's it. And then, of course, he gets really missions-minded, at least the, uh, the rich man. He says, well, can you go to my five brothers and tell them that they come not to this place of torment? And he says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. If, they, if one rose from the dead and tell them, they wouldn't believe. And so that tells you the power and the supremacy of the scriptures in our lives. But it's mentioned here that this place, this paradise, is a place that they would hold, if you would, those in the Old Testament until the Lord Jesus Christ came. There's a couple of interesting references to that in Hebrews 11, the last verse, if you'd like to study those later. But you find here that there is a mention of three heavens. 
In verse number one, uh, verse number two, the Bible says such a man was called last part of that verse. Such a man, such a one was called up to the third heaven. Uh, of course, you uh, study the rest of the scriptures. You can go to Revelation chapter number four. Uh, you can go to Isaiah chapter six. But the first uh, reference here, first heaven, is what we see today. Uh, it's the clouds. It's the it's the uh, it's the, uh, the, the 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 immediate heavens that we see. The second heaven, we believe, is where the stars and the planets and the galaxies. But the third heaven is different. It's a according to verse four. It's a paradise. It's a place of bliss. It's a place place of peace. We believe, according to the scripture, that it's not far away. Many of us look and say, man, heaven must be trillions and trillions of miles away because the extension of our universe is trillions of miles wide. And we think, man, after we die, it's going to take years to get to heaven. Are you all here? I mean, just the transport alone, that's going to be a long time. No, we believe that heaven is very close. We know that it's up. Because we know that we're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We know that it's in a place that's not far from here, but it is called in this portion of Scripture, paradise. Invisible dimension, a place where we believe perhaps it's the fourth uh, dimension. Uh, time and space is no more. It's in the fourth dimension. Let me give you a possibility of why I believe that. Over in Luke chapter 24, you'll find that Jesus shows up to the two men on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. He is now in his glorified body. He's speaking to these two men uh, who were somewhat discouraged. He begins to bring to them the scriptures of all the things concerning himself. And he says their hearts started to, uh, they started to think about it and they started to get excited about it. And then it says in verse number 31, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. That means he was hiding himself of who he was. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. And it says here, and he vanished out of their sight. Now, I know that he had not ascended. The, the official ascent did not happen until the book of Acts. I know that. But he was able to move out of the physical realm into the spiritual realm. You'll find several places in the scriptures that Jesus was able to do that. It's interesting, isn't it? And so we believe that heaven is not some distant, distant planet or some distant galaxy. It's very close. It means that it's just not visible here. It constitutes a kind of fourth dimension. So where did Paul go? We know he went to paradise. Verse number two again. Here's the title of the message. I don't know if I told you. I think I did say this. If, listen, seeing what Paul saw and living to tell about it. What a tremendous thought. Can I see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? Well, Paul did. Well, can I? All right, good question. What he saw and heard, according to verse number two and verse number three, and really verse number four, he couldn't tell. He couldn't tell how he left his world. He couldn't tell if he was in the body and out of the body. Verse number two, you'll find the word tell. He cannot tell two times in verse number two, verse number three of such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. So Paul could not tell. He doesn't know. It's either that he does know or he couldn't tell or he frankly doesn't know how he went and saw this. But look in verse number four. 
He was called up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. The word rendered here, unspeakable, 1828 dictionary, it means it cannot be uttered. It cannot be expressed. It's unutterable. It's, it's, it's no way to put into words what he heard. So Paul's saying that he could not even attempt with the language that he had to be able to describe what heaven was like and what he heard. Uh, the, the, the use of the word here, words, if you look here in verse uh, number four, he heard unspeakable words. Words something about words. It's something about words that communicate ideas, communicate thoughts, words. And he says here that these words implying that it's something that I cannot utter. I, I cannot give you. I don't know if it was praise, the words that he heard. I, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it was imparted into his mind that there is something more to this life than this life. I heard things that are not lawful for me to utter. So that points out another very interesting fact. I love songs of heaven. I really do. I love songs of redemption. I love songs trying to describe what heaven's like. But do you realize it is impossible to describe the realms of heaven with a song? It is impossible for us to put into words what heaven's like. And I love to sing them. I mean, we could sing one from one to the other all the way, all day long about heaven. And at the end of that service, at the end of that day or two weeks, however long it takes to sing all the songs ever written about heaven, at the end of that day, there is no way for you and I to adequately describe what it's like. The testimony cannot describe what is heaven, what heaven is like. A picture can't even do it. And I love pictures of heaven. Usually it's you know, this radiant glow coming out of a, of a faceless light. And, and in the background, there's stairs and there's angels and there's trumpets and there's all kinds of crystal rivers. And, and in your mind, you're trying to, wow, that's got to be what it's like. And the artists probably did as much as they could. The, 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 the four and 20 elders and trying to describe what the beasts are like and the emerald rainbow round about the throne and the golden streets that are transparent and the jasper. And there's no way to try to put on ink and put it on canvas and try to paint it, put it on the internet. And there is no possible way that an artist can render what heaven is like. That's why the Bible says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath provided for them that prepared for them that love him. You can't even, the Bible says, neither hath entered into the heart of man. What does that mean? It'll blow your mind. You can't even imagine it. It is impossible to describe heaven. It is impossible for a picture to describe heaven. And they even say a picture is worth a thousand words, but a picture will fall well short of describing heaven. Now, isn't it wonderful to know that we're going to a place that cannot be described? Thanks, Joyce. I mean, you can't even describe it. You can't put it in words. If you're a believer here, you're watching online, if you're here this morning, if you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, can't describe where you're going to go. But we know that Paul went to paradise. 
that he heard things, and we're implying that he most likely saw things. Number three, how can I see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? Number three, what he saw, listen to this, what he saw came quickly. Let me say it again. What he saw and what he heard came quickly. Look at verse number two, last part. Such a one was what? Caught. Caught up. Amen? Okay, so we find this word caught right here. Verse number four, how he was what? Caught. Okay, so we have two times this phrase or this word is used, caught. (laughs) Caught. You'll find that same word in Revelation 4. You'll find this implied in Isaiah chapter 6. You'll find Ezekiel also uh, being describing this catching or this pulling. It simply means this, to pluck, to pull, to take by force. And so whatever happened to Paul, it happened rather quickly. In fact, they believe that when Paul was without the sight, they may, many believe that was the three days that maybe that's when he saw it. Some believe he was in the temple when he was in the trance. That's when he saw it. I don't believe those two things, and I can disagree with you, and we can be friends and buddies and all that. I believe it happened at a very, very difficult time, and one that I think the disciples would have not wanted to return to. But if you turn to Acts chapter 14, note here, plucking. Pulling. When did this happen? Can I see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? Well, let's look at this. Acts 14. You all there? Good. Look in verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Can you imagine this? He goes into the synagogue, Iconium. People are getting saved. we got Greeks. we got Jews. They're getting saved. People are coming to know Christ, who Messiah is, and you're reading ahead. That's okay. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. And so just as God is working, there's always Satan that wants to put his little foot in there and disturb it if you would so these unbelieving jews come in and they start to if you would affect the minds of those that were listening to the gospel verse three long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the lord which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands so there are things that are happening in Iconium that people are getting saved. There is uh, grace was being given. Uh, they gave testimony of the word. They gave testimony of his grace. There is people watching the wonders being done by the apostles. But verse four, but, but the multitude of the city was divided. Now we have a, a city split. We have church splits here. They had city split. <laughs> they were divided. <laughs> And the part held with the Jews and the part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. When this happened, there's a comma here in verse number five. They were aware of it. Oh, they got got some intel. And they needed to get out of town. In fact, in verse number five, and look at the word here, fled. We're going to come back to that word. They fled. Under Lystra and Derby and cities of Lysonia, and under the region that lieth round about. And they, watch this, and there they preach the gospel. So they get the threat, hey, Paul, if you don't shut up, man, you got the Jews, you got the whole city. Half the city hates you, and they're, they're talking about stoning you. They have to get out of town. So they leave, 
Very important. They leave Iconium and they go to Lystra and they begin to do the same thing. Verse 7. Skip down to verse number 19. Okay. Then there came thither Jews from Ant. You can't leave it alone. They always have to just follow you, right? So here comes these, the Jews and the, uh, uh, from Antioch and where? Iconium. Who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead. So these, do, these, these guys came from Iconium, said, we're not going to let it happen. It happened in our city, but let's get over to Lystra and make sure it doesn't happen there. So they catch up with Paul, and they stir the same people up. And then it says here, having stoned Paul. Now, not a lot of detail given to the stoning of Paul. There is detail given to the stoning of Stephen, but not Paul. It's just they stoned him. Now, a stoning is a stoning. The stones they would grab would be anywhere between three to six pounds. Hundreds of people would gather around those that are going to be stoned, and they would throw these stones until the person had succumbed to the injury of those stones. Now, uh, you understand, you get hit by hundreds of six-pound stones. It's not going to take long for you to realize you're having a really, really bad day, okay? And you're going to die, Okay? You get hit in the head, you get hit in the neck, the ribs. It's just going to, your, your life is, so it's, it's, it's why they, they say he's dead. Supposing he had been dead. So they're dragging Paul out of the city now. And using, obviously, uh, the disciples of Paul, getting him out there, believing he's dead. And as you look at this point here, all of this happened quickly. He was caught up. If, if this is the event, at some point, Paul was caught, plucked, gone from the body. Absence from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay? You all with me so far? Just piecing some things together. Now, look with me at this next verse. Look in Acts chapter 14. Okay? Acts chapter 14. Can we see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? <laughs> well, whatever he saw changed his life. Look what he did after he came back to life. I, I think Iconium, of course, as you remember, they came back in verse number one. Uh, they came to pass in Iconium. They went both together in the synagogue. So Iconium people came to Lystra, uh, and they begin to, if you would, stir the people up. They stoned Stephen. But here's the point I'm trying to put out here. Before, before the stoning, the disciples, Paul, they left for fear of the stoning. After the stoning, now Paul is going back into the city despite the great danger that, presented, that was presented to him. Here's the point. Look, at, if you would, in verse number 20 of Acts 14. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about, here's Paul outside of the city. He's dead. They think he's dead, and he's laying there. He's bleeding. He is a mess. The disciples round about. They're all looking down at him. And verse number 20, and he stood round about him. He rose up. Okay? Now, just that right there would be, I think, interesting, isn't it? He comes back, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. In verse 21, and when he had preached the gospel to that city, he taught many, they returned again to where? Now, wait a minute. They left Lystra because they're 
threat of being stoned. They left Iconium because he did get stoned. And so he goes back to the city of Iconium. He preaches to those in Iconium. He goes to Derby, preaches in Derby, goes to Lystra and preaches. I'm saying this, before this revelation, before being able to be taken to paradise, he's leaving because of fear. After that, he's running, if you would, in the face of danger. Are you all here? That is a change in his life. That is a change. I feel sorry for these disciples. What? No, no, no. We got to get out of here. We got to go somewhere else. No, we're going back into the city. What? Paul, Paul. Much stoning has made thee mad now. <laughs> we, need, we need to rethink this. You realize they have a death warrant for you. Not even a arrest warrant. They're going to kill you. We're going back in. And there was a reason for that in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples. There's something happening to strengthen them. Let me say this. I mentioned this. It wasn't in the notes. But do you realize someone else's trial of faith is designed to help you? Do you realize someone else's difficult time and what they're going through is not only designed to help them, do you realize Paul's faith in going back into that city that just stoned him was for the purpose of confirming the disciples, strengthening the disciples? Are you with me this morning? My point is this, is that God's people can help God's people with their faith by just doing what God called them to do. So how is living for this life? Now, now you'll find Paul is, is, is changing his mind. He's now living for the life to come. He is now living his life for things that he heard. He saw something that changes life. He heard something that changed his life. And would to God that we had Christians that had that kind of testimony, that this life is not uh, what they're living for. They're living for the life to come. Would to God that we had those in Cornerstone Baptist Church that lived for the next life. That's why he could endure the beatings. That's why he could suffer the way he did. That's why he can go through the shipwrecks. That's why he could keep on keeping on. He could endure the mockings. He can endure the rejection. He can endure the scourging. Why? Because he got a glimpse of heaven. But how can I see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? Well, whatever he saw changed his life. What he saw and he heard even changed his view of death. That's why he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We sing this song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. That's why he could sing songs in prison, being chained to a wall. That's why he could endure the difficulties of ministry. That's why he could say to Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. For the Apostle Paul, it started on the road to Damascus and it ended in the Mamertine prison. The Bible 
pictures this city that he went to as a city of, filled with God's people. What would such a city look like? Well, it would be a city with no crimes. He would not have seen crime in heaven. He would not have seen bombs in heaven as we've seen on Christmas Day in Nashville. My sister lives just south of Nashville. He would have seen no violence in heaven. No criminals would be practicing their criminality in heaven. There's no greedy politicians in heaven, probably former ones, but no greedy ones in heaven. There would be no drug pushers and child molesters. And unfortunately, I mean, we have potholes in this world and this road system. But in heaven, in the golden streets, there's no potholes. There's no power outages. In that city, God builds, there's not going to be a tear. There's not going to be sorrow. There's not going to be regret. There's no remorse. There are no eyeglasses in heaven. Amen? For the teenager, there is no braces in heaven for your teeth. There are no wheelchairs. There are no false teeth. By the way, the false teeth will be left behind when you get your glorified body. There are no bald heads in heaven. I'm not making fun of bald heads because I am going there too. There's no hearing aids. There's no mental institutions. There's no, um, uh, no police stations. There's no psychiatric wards. There's no nursing homes. There's uh, no wars. There's no guns. Maybe. I don't think there is. There's no crutches. I know that. There's no hospitals. There's no paramedics. There's no CPR. There's no aspirin. There's no pharmacies. There's no cancer. There's no heart attacks. There's no COVID-19s in heaven. No one grows old. No one grows feeble. Paul never saw that. No cemeteries. No funerals. If you make it to that city, you'll live forever. You'll never die again. Either you believe in it or you don't. Either you think it's a real place or you don't. This is where Paul went to, paradise. He saw it, or he heard it. And he came back and couldn't talk about it. Can we see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? Well, how can we do that? Let's tie it all in here in Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Look, if you would, in verse number 13. Amen, brother? I just, when I get into verse 13 through 15, it's just one of those condensed verses that give you a, something to gnaw on and live for. Verse 13. Of course, it's mentioning here all those that died in their faith. You find mentioned here, you have Abel, uh, you have Enoch in verse number five. Uh, you'll have Noah, verse number seven. Of course, Abraham in verse number eight. Uh, and then you'll, you'll find Sarah and on and on, all the way down to Rahab. So the chapter is filled with people that lived by faith, and they all had this in common. Verse 13. These all died in what? Then it says this, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Now watch this. These people 
saw something that others could not see. They were able to look at things that others could not look at. They were embracing those things. They were, conf- uh, they were convinced. In fact, the Bible says in verse number three, persuaded, embraced, confessed that this world was not their home. They're just strangers. Now look in verse number 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Well, Pastor Shepherd, okay, hold up right there. That's all the Old Testament saints. That's not for us. But then you find chapter 12. How can we see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? It's right there in verse number 1 and 2. Wherefore, anytime you see a wherefore, you find out what it's there for. Verse, chapter 11 is the reason why chapter 12 is here. Verse 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now listen to this. And let us run with patience the race that is before us. They did this, but this is what we need to do. Verse 2. How do you do it? How do you see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? Number two, verse two, looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He started it, he authored it, and he's going to finish it. Now, for us as God's people, you know what we need to do? Keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. How can we see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? By putting your nose in the Bible right here tonight, today, realizing these promises are not only they're for you, man, not all of it's to us, I understand, but all of it's for us. And God's people ought to have more faith today than ever before. The church this morning ought to have such faith that our eyes are focused on Christ, not the news, not the COVID, not the dangers, not the peril, not the things that many times can distract us. And in doing so, you'll do things what you should be doing. Paul, what are you doing? I'm going back into Lystra. We just came from, they just killed, well, I thought they killed you. We're going back in there to preach to them. Okay, then we're going to get out of here. No, we're going to go Iconium. Iconium is how, no, we're going to go back. It doesn't matter what the danger is because I'm living for the next life. Are you all with me? Powerful. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. So, for the Christian, for the believer, do you realize we'll soon know what heaven's like? Let's say you have 10 years or 15 or 20, 30, 40, 50, 100. If you're a teenager, you're 100 years away. Maybe, maybe not. But for the child of God, we'll soon be there. You and I begin no day with any certainty that we will not close our day in heaven. We lie down and we rest with no time and no assurance that we will not wake up in heaven amidst all the full eternal glory that God has prepared. No day passes without that, if you would, in our hearts and minds. The trumpet could sound today. The dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. 
So for the believer, how can I see what Paul saw and live to tell about it? You live by faith. You don't run to the hills. You don't run in fear. You run to the danger with the gospel. Why? Because Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. But for the sinner, maybe you're online watching, or maybe you're here this morning, the sinner will also know what it is to lose heaven. At a moment, they will become fully sensible of their loss. In a moment, they may forever be beyond any possibility of reaching that world of glory because they have rejected the only way that a person can be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. He said it, not me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Are you saved today? Are you saved today? How can we... See what Paul saw and live to tell about it. Live for Jesus all the days of your life.